Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good evening, Mr. Ricky Prig. How are you? It's good to see you, man. You got a great voice. You got that deep draw. I love it, man. I love it. Well, I'm excited to be here. My name's Drake, and uh, it's really, really fun to be here on Wednesday night. Oh, Dan's in the room. I'm a little nervous about that now. Might get fired after this next five weeks. Uh, if you're in this room, uh, you probably have the understanding that we're going to be studying the book of Philippians. If you didn't have that understanding, welcome. You just signed up for five weeks of Philippians. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, I serve here as one of the ministers on staff. I work with Allison, which is really fun, and uh, she'll keep me humble if Dan won't. So it'll be good. It'll be good. Um, We're here to study the book of Philippians, and I'm really excited about this book. Is there anybody in here whose favorite subject in school, when you were in grade school or high school, was your favorite subject history? Anybody else? Yes? Okay. Where are the math people at? You guys are the worst, all right? Uh, History was my favorite subject. My second favorite subject was reading. A couple of books I had to read when I was in um, grade school was The Outsiders. Anybody ever read this book before? Okay. Pretty, pretty good uh, book. It's first book. Well, really first movie that I got to watch that had cuss words and smoking in it. So pretty, pretty fun as a kid to get to watch that. And uh, then this book, Where the Red Fern Grows. Anybody ever read this book? They also made it into a movie, actually two movies, like a 1970s version, and then I think like a 2003 version where Dave Matthews from the Dave Matthews Band played the uh, main character. Um, So these books were really awesome. I loved these books when I was reading them as a kid. You take The Outsiders. This is a book about the greasers and the socias, the the, the rich kids and the poor kids and this conflict, this, this clash between them. Uh, you get really invested into the, the storyline of Pony Boy and his brothers and this battle that they have and, 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 and Johnny is killed and, and Dallas. And there's just, it's so deep. And as a young boy reading about these boys who are clashing with one another, I was captivated by it. I really loved the story. But when I learned that the author of this book, S.E. Hinton, went to high school with my grandpa uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it became all the more real to me. And then when my grandpa, and as I grew up and began to learn stories from my grandpa, and he talked about how he would have been one of the greasers, one of the poorer kids in, the, in Tulsa, and in the high school that she was really focusing her book on. Now, this is a fictional book. All the characters in this book are fictional. In the, in the actors who portrayed them in the movie, it's wild how many famous actors are in the movie. Have you seen this? You have like Matt Damon, Ralph Macchio, uh, the guy who's the Mighty Ducks coach, uh, some other people like that. Um, Emilio Estevez, that's it. <laughs> the Mighty, Coach Gordon Bombay. Uh, so all these crazy characters. It's a fictional story, but when I learned that it had roots and autobiographical in its root. Essie Hinton lived with people like this. It took on a whole new meaning for me. The story became real, right? Because it was rooted in real history. The same is true for where the red fern grows. I was really interested because The Outsiders is based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I grew up right outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. This book, Where the Red Fern Grows, is is based in eastern Oklahoma, Tahlequah, Oklahoma. It's a place I've been to many times. And I thought it was just a cool story about a boy and his dogs, you know? At moments, it's really sad because there's death and both of his dogs die. It's where the red fern grows. I did not know until recently. I was listening to some podcasts about this book, which is what real bookworms do. They read, listen to podcasts about the books they like. I was listening to a podcast about this book, and this book, as it's fiction, all the characters in her fiction, it's based in Wilson Rawls, who is the author, his real life. He really grew up in eastern Oklahoma. He calls it the Ozarks because it's on the edge of the Ozarks, and he talks about the main character you understand is, is poor. He grows, grows up in a really hard environment, and Wilson Rawls, he had that same environment growing up. He grew up in that same part of Oklahoma, And it was captivating to me. I learned recently when I was listening to these podcasts that this book, this fictional book, is Wilson Rawls trying to rewrite his childhood memories with a redemption story. He left that area, Scrapper, Oklahoma, when he was about 14 years old, and he never really returned to it. 
After he left, he made bad decisions in life. He served uh, three prison sentences for different crimes that he committed, and he felt guilty about it. He wrote this book when he was about 60 years old, and this book is an effort to redeem what he wanted to see in his childhood. And one of the things, that one of the lines that catches me, almost brought tears to my eyes when I was reading it a few years ago. He says this. He refers to eastern Oklahoma as the Ozarks, because it is. He says, I've never been back to the Ozarks. All I have left are my dreams and memories. But if God is willing, someday I'd like to go back, back to those beautiful hills. I'd like to walk again on trails I walked in my boyhood days. And I think about this old man when he's writing, he's about 60 years old, and he's remembering how beautiful that place was that he grew up in, even in the heartache and the pain, and he wanted to go back there, but he never did. And this is his redemption. And I'm just kind of nerding out a little bit on these books all to say history matters. The context of a story matters. And if it matters for fictional work, like The Outsiders and where the red fern grows, then it matters for the stories that we talk about when it comes to the faith, because our stories in Scripture are, are real. And if we don't understand the context, the historical context, we're not going to understand the full extent of the scriptures, specifically these letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to different churches in specific places and real places with real people and real stories. So the background of the letter of Philippians is where we're going to start. And you might be thinking in a class on Philippians, we would turn to Philippians chapter 1, but you're wrong. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, Acts chapter 16 is where I want you to turn. Acts chapter 16 is going give to give us a little bit of the background behind this place and the person who is writing the letter. You have some notes. I'm a terrible note taker. So for those of you who like to take notes, we've provided this sheet. Uh, on the back, there's going to be some fill in the blanks. You can totally fill in the blanks if you want. But you can also make notes yourself in those empty spaces. And I want to talk a little bit about three things. I want to talk about Paul, who is the author of the letter of Philippians. I want to talk about Philippi, the city in which this letter is sent to. And I want to talk about the church in Philippi, the people that this letter was sent to. First is Paul. Paul was a missionary. He's a common household name in the Christian church because he was one of the forefathers of our faith. He was considered the greatest missionary of the church. He traveled to different places to spread the gospel, places where the gospel had not yet gone. He was a teacher. He was a preacher. He was a missionary. In Acts chapter 16, he is headed to new places. This is from Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. I'm going to read. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Myasia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. This is interesting. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, keeping Paul and his, his comrades from preaching the gospel. So they passed by Myasia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul is directed, rather he's kept by the Holy Spirit, kept by Jesus from going to other places, and he's directed to a new continent. Paul has always preached on the continent of Asia. He passes over to the continent of Europe and he's heading down to Macedonia. Macedonia meaning the Greek era, the Greek empire. Paul is a missionary and this letter that he wrote is approximately 10 years after this journey that he had. Paul was the Billy Graham of the early church and then some. If you remember in this past century, uh, Billy Graham is definitely the, the biggest name in the Christian faith when it comes to the church in America. He preached revivals and all of that. Paul was a well-known uh, preacher. He was a well-known missionary. People wanted him to come. And I can't fully explain this vision of the man of Macedonia, but God was directing because people were eager to hear the gospel. God was directing Paul to go and to preach to new territory. So he enters into the continent of Europe. And I want you to notice something. Acts chapter 16, verse 9. 
the author of the book of Acts is referring to they. So anything before Acts chapter 16, verse 9, it's about they, Paul and them, Paul and his group. Acts chapter 16, verse 10, I'll read it again, is about we. Somebody has joined the group of missionaries and his name is Luke. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Luke, the author of Acts, has joined this missionary crew. And this is really cool for us because before Acts chapter 16, verse 10, everything that Luke has recorded has just been based off of interview or hearsay or story that Luke has heard with his own ears. Everything recorded after, Luke is a part of, and he sees with his own eyes. So we have an eyewitness to the journey of Paul entering into Europe, and specifically to the city of Philippi. So look, to recap, this vision Paul has is a man in Macedonia begging him to come over to Macedonia to leave the continent of um, Asia and go to the continent of Europe. And I have a map. Let me hook it up to my phone to show you on a map where we are talking about. So that's Paul. This is where we're looking at. So Paul at this point has been preaching and working in this area. Jerusalem, right down here in the corner, is where Paul's missionary journeys first began. Then he goes up here. And now he's in Ephesus having a meeting. And then they're going to preach in this area, and he wants to preach in this area, but the, but the man of Macedonia, this is my Asia that was read about, they cross over this way and have, they enter into the continent of Europe, and this is where they're beginning to preach. So you can kind of see on that map, Paul has a journey to go to Philippi. So from Troas, which is not on the map, but it's in that kind of area up here, from Troas, this is what Luke says, we put out and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. Some notes on Philippi. Philippi began as a Greek settlement. Well, really before that Greek settlement, it was kind of, there were people there who had settled there, but they were unknown. The first real empire to take it over was the Macedonian, the Greek empire. Philippi had large deposits of gold that people wanted. So people were coming to try and conquer this land so that they could get the gold and become wealthy. The, the people who lived in the region of Philippi before it was named Philippi called on Philip II. He was the king of Macedon. He was the king of the Greek empire, who was actually Alexander the Great's father, to come and to protect them so that they would become a colony of the Macedonian Empire and basically have protection, but they would have to give wealth to Philip and the Macedonian Empire, but they would have protection. This happened in 356 BC. As you know, empires try to take over empires as people try to uh, conquer different lands because of things like gold or just the expansion of their empire. The Romans took over. And the Romans then had a civil war, and after that civil war, um, there were so many Roman soldiers in that time, they couldn't return home to Rome, because that would have just brought about a whole lot of chaos. Whoops. Who touched that? Jack, did you touch that slide? Did you make it move? Man, Jack, you're messing with my PowerPoint. So if you see Rome here, all the way up here in the corner, the Romans were fighting, and there was a famous civil war, which means Romans fighting Romans, right? Famous city uh, civil war around the area of Philippi. And after the battle was finished, there were so many Roman soldiers, hundreds of thousands of Roman soldiers, that they had a logistical problem of getting people back to Rome. Like, they, it was hard to, to, to transport that many people in a short amount of time with food and boats and just walking, it wasn't really going to be possible. And so they took over the city of Philippi, making it no longer a Greek settlement, but a Roman settlement. And this land was gifted to Roman veterans. Roman veterans then brought their families over, and this new colony of Philippi, it kept the name, was now a Roman establishment. And everything about it became Roman. It was actually given the nickname Little Rome, and it had the privilege of being, um, it, the, the phrase is Ius Italicum, which is like Italy. 
This means that everything that they had in Rome, privileges that were in Rome, were now a part of this little colony far from Rome. Rome had privileges that a lot of their conquered lands did not have. So they expanded their kingdoms, right? But the privileges of Rome did not travel with the conquest. But this little place of Philippi had the privileges of Rome because these were veterans and their families who had served in the Roman military. And so while it was a far away place from Rome, it had the culture of Rome. And so when Paul arrived on the scene in Acts chapter 16, which is approximately 100 years after that civil war battle, this place is mostly Roman with a little bit of Greek influence still remaining from Philip II, the king of Macedon. So this place is popping. There's gold. It's been conquered by empire after empire. And Paul is going there now to preach the gospel, to proclaim a new kingdom. Don't miss the irony here. Philippi has been dominated by empires, by king after king. And Paul is now coming to proclaim the new kingdom of heaven that King Jesus sits on the throne. Now, there were churches, there were Christians in Europe before Paul reached this. But Philippi would be the very first place in Europe, the continent of Europe, that Paul would preach and baptize and establish a church for the kingdom of Jesus. And this matters because Paul as a missionary is such an influential figure in the Christian faith. So Paul got to Europe through the vision of the man of Macedonia, and he goes first to Philippi, and he stays there several days. We're still in Acts chapter 13. I want to talk about the people of Philippi that he met on his first missionary journey there. Acts chapter 16, verse 13. Luke writes, On the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. Philippi was a big city. They expected to find a place of prayer because when Paul would travel on his missionary journeys, what he would typically do, his strategy, if you will, is Paul and his companions would go and they would find the synagogue. There at the synagogue, they would reason and debate with Jewish leaders about Jesus, that the Messiah had come. The only problem here is that they can't find that place of prayer because there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi at the time, which is interesting for us because the only requirement to have a synagogue in a city, and remember that Philippi is a very big city, it's a popular city, is to have 10 Jewish men who worship God. And they did not have that in Philippi. This was a place, and we know it because we know the history now, that worshiped Caesar as Lord. There were Jews probably, but not enough Jews to have a synagogue, a place of worship. At least not enough Jewish men. So we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Lydia was probably not a Jewish woman. She was probably a God-fearing Greek woman from what we know of her name and the place she's from. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Lydia of Thyatira is Paul's first convert on the continent of Europe. The next person that Paul meets is a really interesting story that I don't know how to really interpret, to be honest with you. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer where we, this is where they met Lydia and the other women. We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she had predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. And this is what, this is so interesting. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. This is very interesting because Paul cast the demon out of this lady, apparently because he's annoyed, but he's annoyed because she's talking about what they're doing, which is the very mission. And I would say that maybe he's annoyed because she 
might be drawing unwanted attention from, uh, to them about the Most High God telling you the way to be saved. I don't really know, but it's just an interesting moment. I find it interesting. The owners of this girl who had enslaved her because of her uh, ability to, to fortune tell, um, they, were fur- they were frustrated. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, Silas was one of his traveling companions, and dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. We don't know exactly what these are, but these are probably things such as denying Caesar as Lord. They joined the crowd in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. This is not uncommon for Paul. He faces many persecutions when he travels in his missionary journeys. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, I want you to get the picture of what Paul and Silas are faced with. They are in the most secure part of the jail. It's the inner cell of the jail. This is where they would put the, this is the uh, maximum security, if you will, of the jail there in Philippi. They would have been bound at their ankles and probably at their hands as well. They probably would have been laying down. And worshiping God is what they tend to do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he threw, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought that the prisoners had escaped. A little historical context here. If he would allow his prisoners to escape, he would have been killed by his superiors in the Roman uh, army or whoever was in charge of him. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. So the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This jailer recognized something supernatural about the situation he found himself in. Paul and Silas replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. And the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas to be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the Roman officers, this is Paul being bold. Think about what just happened. Paul was just imprisoned by the magistrates and now Paul is about to speak to the magistrates and give them some instructions. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial even though we are Roman citizens. Roman citizens, if you remember, Rome was way up here. Philippi right here. This is where Paul's arrested. Philippi had the privileges of Rome. So Roman citizens in Philippi, which Paul was a Roman citizen, had the privilege of a trial before he was thrown into jail. But they were not given that. Even though we are Roman citizens, they threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, Let them come themselves and escort us out. This is Paul saying, I want to speak to your manager, all right? I have some issues with the way I was thrown into jail. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. I don't know why Paul did it, but I love that he did it. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. Remember, Lydia was the first convert where they met the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. This is the beginning of the church in Philippi. We know that Paul met members of families, but he met Lydia and her family. They were baptized. We don't know the outcome of the girl who had been uh, purified of the demon possession, but we know that the jailer who Paul and Silas met, the jailer's whole household was baptized. A church had begun in the city of Philippi, and then 
they left. This is the beginning of the church in Philippi in the Genesis story of one of Paul's most beloved congregations that he was a part of beginning. And 10 years later, Paul writes the letter that we're gathered to study tonight and over the next few weeks. That's the background to Paul meeting Philippi and beginning a church there. Lydia, the jailer, these are the people who are going to be the recipients of Paul's letter. The church in Philippi, let's talk about them. They were, at the time of the letter, about a 10-year-old church. We know now that Paul had visited them and started that church. We don't really know a whole lot of details between those 10 years. We know that about in Acts 20, uh, Paul visited uh, Philippi again. We have no details from that visit, but they grew. There was leadership in this church, and they were a healthy church. This church was probably the biggest supporter of Paul's missionary his continuing missionary work. I would guess, this is pure speculation, but I would guess they had much gratitude for Paul bringing the gospel. Remember this new King Jesus, this new empire into their land. And they wanted to support that missionary work to other places. And we know from scripture that they did. And we'll see that in Philippians. This is the church in Philippi. That's Paul. That's the city. This is the background. I hope this provides you with a little historical context. And I started it by talking about two of my favorite childhood books, The Outsiders and Where the Red Fern Grows. And this book, this letter to the church in Philippi, is so much more important to have a good understanding of. And I hope that background history gives you a little bit before we jump into the letter. Now, this is a good place to pause and ask if there are any questions on the Paul, on the church there in Philippi, on the place of Philippi, or any questions at this moment. If not, we're free to move on, but if so, would love to pause and talk. Yes, sir. Oh, man, is this a trick question, Dan? Yeah. This is modern-day Turkey. Um, this is still Greece down here. Um, yeah, Ma like former Macedonia. Um, this would be, uh, I'm thinking of the country, like Bosnia and Serbia are over here. Um, this may just be, be Greece right here. This might all be part of Greece. I can't remember exactly, but I know this is part of Turkey in this, in this area. If somebody wants to look it up on their iPhone, I'm sure we can find out pretty quick. Um, but that exact country where Philippi is, I know the city, the nearest city, Philippi is a ruined city, uh, which means like it's just in ruins. It's actually a, a world uh, UNESCO heritage site. So it's a place where um, it will forever be protected for the history and all of that. Um, but I think the nearest active city, right, if you will, is called Kavala, Greece. Um, but if anybody wants to fact check me, that's right. Thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Bennett. Do what? I'm sorry, say that again. Bulgaria. Yes, that is, that is what I was trying to remember. Kavala, Greece. Don't know much about Kavala, to be, and to be completely honest with you. But um, this actually on my, the first... This is part of the ancient ruins of the Philippi uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site. So this would have been some of the columns and stuff that the Roman, it would have been full of Roman architecture would have been. Uh, and, then, and then it would have, it would have Greek architecture, Macedonian architecture, um, Roman architecture, and then the Byzantine Empire actually took over as well, um, if you know much about empires. So good question, Danny Lee. Lee is Dan's middle name. I learned that when we went to Israel together and uh, saw it on his passport or something like that. So, pretty fun. <clears throat> I have a great memory about things that I love, such as middle names. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to jump into the book of Philippians. So you can turn from Acts chapter 16 to Philippians chapter 1. This is very exciting. I'm very, very excited to jump into this Philippians chapter 1. Let's start with verses 1 and 2. Here's the beginning of the reading. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You know who Paul is now. So we don't need to spend too much more time on him. But it says Paul and Timothy. 
servants of Christ Jesus. Who is Timothy? Acts chapter 16, I won't make you turn back there, but this is where we're actually first introduced to Timothy. Acts chapter 16 plays a big part in the background of this letter. This is before Paul gets to Philippi, but Acts chapter 16 verses 1 through 3. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, referring to Paul's missionary journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So we know that, Paul, that Timothy was a, uh, a God worshiper whose mother was Jewish, but his father was Greek. All Jewish boys would have been circumcised, but Timothy was not circumcised because his father was not Jewish. Uh, his father was Greek. We don't have to spend too much time about this, but we know here that Timothy is now circumcised at the age of not a baby, and so that would have hurt. But he went, he, I want you, I just want to, we don't have to think about exactly what happened, but he underwent a very painful thing for the spread of the gospel, didn't he? Much respect to this man named Timothy. Uh, Timothy, we know from other places in scripture that he was beloved by Paul. Paul refers to Timothy as a son in the faith when he writes letters to him. Timothy was a church leader in the city of Ephesus eventually. But in the beginning, Timothy joined Paul on many of his missionary travels. Um, So when Luke refers to we in Acts chapter 16, Timothy is included in that. So who's writing the letter? It's really Paul. Timothy, Paul, here's probably what was happening. Paul was speaking this letter. Timothy was writing this letter, or at least Timothy would have been present with Paul. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Then he says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Nobody here is mentioned by name. We're not sure if Lydia is still around. We're not sure if the jailer is still around. There's no reason to think that they're not. They're just not mentioned in this part by name. But we do know that this congregation that's about 10 years old does now have local leadership. He says, to God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with their overseers and deacons. Overseers would be the term that we use for elders. Deacons would have been people who carried out the local ministries of the church, such as caring for people, feeding the hungry, those sorts of things. Paul is affirming, which this is a big, this is a big thing. Think if Billy Graham, if Billy Graham wrote to Christ Church of Orinogo and mentioned me by name as a leader of the church, you know, serving in this church, I would be so pumped about that. And this is what Paul is doing. He's affirming the local leadership there at the church in Philippi. And uh, that just has to feel good for those guys and those gals who are leading. So then he says, uh, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This letter was written, these are the blanks. These are what I never fill in when I'm a student in a classroom because I am terrible at taking notes, but I included them for those of you who love them. This letter was written by Paul and Timothy to the Christians in Philippi. That next blank is, this is a standard introduction for letters in antiquity and for Paul in specific. By that I mean, when we write letters today, if I was to write a letter to Mr. Jack Huffman, I would say, dear Jack, right? And then I would say something to, uh, sincerely, at the end of it, I would say something like, sincerely, Drake. Not how they would write. They would write by mentioning the author of the letter first, not the recipient of the letter. Because how letters would have been received in antiquity is somebody would have carried this letter from, uh, we know Paul wrote it in Rome, to the city of Philippi. We know this man's name was Epaphroditus who carried it. When it got to the church in Philippi, somebody would have stood up in front of the church to read the letter. And so the letter wouldn't start to, dear church at Philippi, because everybody already knows who the letter's to, it's to them. They would first address who it is from. So while I might write a letter to Jack, and today I would say, dear Jack, sincerely Drake, they're saying basically, sincerely Paul, (laughs) Dear, at the end of it. I don't know, that was a stupid joke. But you understand what I'm trying to say. This is standard introduction uh, for letters in antiquity and for Paul in specific. This is how he starts his letters when he writes the churches. There is one thing noticeably missing, though, for Paul in specific when it comes to the introduction to his letters, and that is Paul's claim to apostleship. And this is important. Paul's claim to apostleship is not mentioned in this introduction to the letter. And he regularly includes it. To prove this, so you don't have to go look it up, I'll read you beginnings, introductions from different letters that Paul wrote. To the church in Galatia, 
Paul, an apostle, sent not from man nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. To Ephesus, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. To Colossae, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 1 Corinthians, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 1 Timothy, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of our God, Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. Romans, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. But in Philippians, Paul's claim to apostleship is not there. And I'm not entirely sure why, but this is why I think it might be missing. These people already know who Paul is. This congregation supported Paul. They were dearly loved by Paul and they dearly loved Paul. You're not going to see a whole lot of rebuke in the letter to the church in Philippi. You're going to see a whole lot of love and gratitude in this letter. And I think in some letters, Paul has to remind the audience that he's writing to that he has a spiritual leadership in the early church. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is a thank you letter, if we could describe it in a, in a way today. He is grateful for the church in Philippi. And so he humbly introduces himself, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean he's not an apostle. It doesn't mean he doesn't have spiritual leadership. I just think it's a, a move by Paul to express not his authority, but a sincere, humble gratitude to the church there in Philippi. And as he does that, he also lifts up their status for commending the work that they've done in for Christ Jesus, for the gospel. Man, Paul loves this church. And we're going to see it in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, which is the next section we're jumping into. Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. The introduction has been established, and Paul then launches into this. I thank my God every time I remember you. That is a big statement. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I think that first day, he's maybe referring to that day that he met Lydia and the other women gathered at the place of prayer. Because of your partnership from the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he, he's speaking of Jesus, he who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's gratitude for this church extends from their partnership with him. We know that they supported his ministry in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Uh, this is, we'll cover this in week 5, but we'll talk about it right here for a moment. Paul writes, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, you know this story now, we just talked about that, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. This church loved Paul, they cared for Paul, and they were good to Paul. Hmm. He also says, it's right for, for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. I haven't mentioned yet the exact place where Paul is writing this letter from. I did mention that it was in the city of Rome, but I didn't mention exactly where in the city of Rome. Acts chapter 28 verse 16 tells us that Paul is in house arrest in Rome. Luke says, when, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Paul went to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And from his house arrest, he is writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Hmm. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. I know we're skipping ahead, but this is important to understand their relationship. They know that Paul is in prison. They know that Paul is in prison in Rome. And when I say prison, I'm referring to house arrest. And they send somebody to look after Paul and to care for him. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Paul says, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Epaphroditus, remember that name. 
Epaphroditus would have been sent by the church in Philippi. He would have had to have made the journey from Philippi all the way to Rome. He probably sailed across the sea to make it there. He then spent a whole lot of time caring for Paul when Paul was on house arrest. Now, there were not laws for prison or for house arrest that the the Roman government had to abide by. And so when someone was on house arrest, here's the picture, I'll give you the picture. Paul was on house arrest and he was probably chained either to a wall or to that Roman guard who is mentioned in guarding him. He may have physically been chained to a Roman guard who would, they would have obviously taken shifts. But Rome was not responsible for Paul's food, for Paul's health, for Paul's basic needs. When you were someone on house arrest, your family members had to care for you. It's probably the case for a lot of people when they were on house arrest, they were on house arrest with their family in the house with them and some Roman guard just moved in, I guess, with the family and took Timmy's bedroom or something like that. I don't exactly know how it happened in every situation, but Paul has to probably rent a house in Rome and is in house arrest with this man chained to him or he's chained to a wall being guarded by a Roman guard. Timothy is also there. And the church in Philippi sent Epaphroditus to help care for Paul. This is why we know that it was probably Epaphroditus who carried this letter, the letter to the church in Philippi, back to Philippi because he was the one one in the house with Paul. He's mentioned in this letter as being the one that they sent to take care of his needs. And he's going to, right here in verse 25, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. He was probably the one who had the letter in his hands to carry all the way back to Philippi. So Epaphroditus, and as a representative of the church there in Philippi, came to Paul's need. Now, I want you to know, I represent Christ Church of Orinoco to a lot of our impact partners, especially our ones who are in different places in a part of the world. I share this, this um, scripture with them, the Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 in particular, where it says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I share that scripture with them because it feels like I'm in prison when I work here at Christ Church. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I share that with them because this demonstration of Paul's gratitude for them is one of the, it's really one of the only examples of of what we see a body of believers doing to serve the mission of Christ in a faraway place. Now, Paul had friends. There were other people doing missionary work around this area. But here is just, you see Paul's heart and his affection for the church in Philippi when you read those Words, I thank my God every time I remember you. Paul loves this church, if you haven't caught on to that yet. All right, Philippians chapter one, verse eight, further expression of Paul's care. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now I want you to picture Paul in this moment. Paul is in a rough spot in life. He's awaiting trial before Caesar. Um, He will eventually be condemned to to death, and he knows that that's probably going to be his fate. But the letter that he is writing, this would be one of the last letters that he would write um, in in his uh, letter writing ministry, would be to the church in Philippi, and, and he is just full of love and gratitude and affection for these people who have been so good to him in such a hard time of his life. But I also want you to think about this man who is in one of the worst situations in his life, still so full of joy, so full of joy. Philippians chapter four, verse four, Paul will remind the church to rejoice in God. I will say it again, rejoice is what Paul calls the church to to live, how he calls them to live. And this is how Paul is living his life, chained to a Roman guard on house arrest. He loves this church. Paul continues to write in uh, Philippians chapter one, verse nine, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to take note. 
Paul is not offering this as a rebuke. He's offering this as an encouragement. Paul in his ministry, many times he writes to many different churches, has to rebuke them for the way in which they have lived. Paul is speaking to this church and says, what you have going right now, I just want that to increase. I want your love to to grow and abound more and more in, in knowledge of Jesus, in depth of insight. He's speaking about wisdom. He wants them to be even more rich than they currently are when it comes to love and, and wisdom for the express purpose that they may be able to discern what is best and pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He wants them to be like Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is not a rebuke, but it's imperative for these followers of Jesus to keep themselves pure for the express purpose to bring glory and praise to God, to their new king. This land has been conquered by the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, but this land belongs to Jesus. And these people, this little colony of the kingdom of heaven here in Philippi, they don't belong to Caesar. They belong to the Son of God whose name is Jesus. And they live for His glory and His praise. This, this, this writing right here, that what I just read, reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul's writing to the church in Rome and he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Romans 12, 2 says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Some of you might not believe this, but when I was, a few years ago, uh, my first year working here at Christ Church, 2016 or 17, Excuse me. I joined an improv comedy group, which I know some of you are like, no, you didn't. You're not funny enough to be a part of that. Uh, but I did. I, I joined it to learn and to grow. I really like stand-up comedy, and I had never really heard much about improv comedy, but I was in- excited to join it. So I went to this class, and it was basically a how-to-do improv class. And so I went. There were probably seven or eight other people who signed up for this class, and I did it. And I really liked it. It was really fun. And after I went through the class, the, the group invited me to, to um, participate in some of the shows that they would do. And I participated in a lot of the shows that they would do for different uh, like youth groups or business meetings, um, those sorts of things. And I thought it was really fun, especially the church ones, because I understand church audiences pretty well. And I understood the humor and I just feel like it was a lot of fun. They asked me once to perform at a bar and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. And uh, I talked to my wife about it, talked to my friends, and the reason I didn't know if I wanted to do this is because when you're going to the youth group audiences, in improv, a lot of times there's suggestions that you ask the crowd for a suggestion, they throw one out. And at the youth groups, it's usually pretty clean, all right? You don't have to worry too much about it, Uh, except for there's sometimes that one kid who gets escorted out by the youth pastor. But uh, I was nervous because this is most of the events we had had done were for private groups, you know, people that had pretty good manners. But this was at a bar. It was a public group. You didn't know who it was going to, to be, but they were down at a performer or a player, as you call it, in improv. And they asked me if I would join. And I had wrestled for this with a while because I wanted to be, I wanted to be salty. You know, I wanted to be light. I wanted to be in the world and I wanted to show uh, how humor is a gift of God and it can be pure. It doesn't have to be crude and all of that. And so after talking to my wife and some of my friends, I decided to do it. And I just knew that I could control myself and I could play something. Thing. Uh, if there was a crude suggestion, I could, I could figure a way out of it. So I'm in this scene, and the setting is a, a bar. Like I'm in a, we're at a bar, like actually doing the show, but the scene that I'm in is actually at a bar. And my character and the other guy were sitting down, and improv is not scripted. I don't know, you know what that means. Improv is just like, go for it. The waiter comes up to us, and he says, um, what would you guys like to drink? And the guy I was talking to at the bar, or at the table, said some uh, beer, and uh, I responded when it was my turn to talk. I said, I don't know, this is my first time at a bar. And the crowd lost it. Like it was weird because I wasn't thinking it was funny. I genuinely didn't really know any beers to order. I never had a beer before in my life. And I just did not know. But the crowd thought it was the funniest thing in ever because this guy obviously has never had a beer before. That's the funniest thing. And it just struck me, number one, that I was hilarious. And uh, <laughs> number two, in that moment, I realized like, Cultures are different, you know, in the, in the culture here in Philippi that Paul is writing to this church in was 
I mean, they, were, they worshipped through sexual acts, not the church, but the false gods that they worshipped. They worshipped through sexual acts. Uh, demons were worshipped. All kinds of things that were going on that were perverse and crude. And Paul often, like he did to the church in Rome, had to write and instruct them not to live in the way of the world. Now, my story is not a condemnation on alcohol. It was just something that struck me as funny because I wasn't even trying to be funny. Just generally, generally couldn't even think of the word Budweiser at the time. But uh, I, I just think about that story when I think about this is because Paul is calling these Christians to have such a countercultural way of living that it is considered pure and blameless. And the only reason that they're living this way is for the glory and the praise of God. And he is saying here in Roman, or Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, that it's your love that abounds and your knowledge and your depth of insight that will be able to shape this in you, Christ's likeness in you. And I wanted you to, oh, here's the, here's the comments or the fill in the blanks that I have to go through because people love that. Uh, Paul's comments are filled with affection for the church in Philippi. He loves this place. Paul's relationship with the church in Philippi was mutually beneficial. This was not a Paul's giving and their receiving. This is a Paul's giving, their giving, Paul's receiving, their receiving kind of relationship. This is probably Paul's best partnership in the gospel. Paul's hope and prayer for the church in Philippi is that they would continue to grow mature in the faith. This is a group of people who love Jesus, but they're only 10 years old. And he wants to encourage them to continue to grow in the faith. The last one, this is all for the glory and praise of God. The way that they live is all for the glory and praise of God. I want to bring this book back to our attention. The one that I find so interesting uh, because I've been listening to podcasts about books I like recently, is Where the Red Fern Grows. And I mentioned it that Wilson Rawls uh, <clears throat> is writing a redemption story. And in some interviews I was reading about him, he's talking about how he is writing this book for young boys. Young boys who probably live a childhood like he lived, where he didn't have a whole lot of education or manners. He just grew up in the hills. And while it was a good life. It was also a very hard life. And he knows that a lot of boys who grew up in a place like him won't be instructed in proper way of living. There will be a whole lot of um, sin, essentially is what it is, vices that creep into their life. And it's exactly what happened to his childhood. And then he would go on to become an adult and he would serve three different prison terms for different crimes that he committed. And he writes this book. It's such a captivating book and you wouldn't really know it this is why he is writing this book. Because it's, it's now at a, 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 I think it's a, Jody, do you remember, what's the, what's the one that's called an American novel, but it's like really popular. It's American literature. I don't know. It's a, it has an award, but I don't know. I thought you were a principal, so I know you're a principal, but uh, do what? <laughs> you're off the clock. That's what I'm talking about. Um, you know, it's this book that's read in a lot of elementary or junior high schools, yada, yada. And it's a cool story. It's a good story about a unique subculture of America when it comes, you know, the hills and the Ozarks and stuff like that. But the reason that he wrote this book is for redemption. And he wants boys who read this book to see the main character who works hard for his money and, 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 and lives in virtue and experiences pain and loss and the loss of his dogs that he loves so much. But he wants boys who read this book to understand that there is virtue in life and this knowledge that he is trying to impart to young boys who read this book is kind of what Paul's trying to do here with this letter as he is trying to encourage the church there in Philippi to live with knowledge and love not that they would be smart, not that they would be kind, but that they would live for the glory and the praise of God. And we know that Wilson Rawls is a Christian, and I just love this book because of the backstory behind it. I mean, it's a good book if you don't know the backstory, but the backstory makes it all that much more rich. So that's the first little bit of the, the book of Philippi. I'm excited about it. Um, it's going to be good. Next, I want to I pull up this sheet. We didn't do a whole lot of the actual scripture this week because we need to do that introduction. Any questions on what we talked about? I'm terrible at leaving space for questions. Be happy to try and answer or hear what you have to say. Which let me ask that. Any reflections from you guys or, or thoughts you have from the first 11 verses that we... Yes, Mr. Murphy.
Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, but he also wrote other letters from this same jail cell that were not as kind and as generous, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, he, so he wrote letters to, Paul had a very expansive letter writing ministry, if you will. He wrote a lot of letters to a lot of different churches and even people. Most of, 95% that aren't even included, probably 99% that aren't even included in our scriptures that we have today. We, we, we believe, I believe, and a lot of other Bible scholars believe that this letter to the church in Philippi, um, was probably, um, part of a group of letters that even Epaphroditus would have maybe like taken to Philippi and then extended on to other churches as well. Like maybe somebody from Philippi would have ran letters somewhere else or, or taken them somewhere else. But this church was specifically written to, or th- I'm sorry, this letter was specifically written to Philippi. Um, I would say for the unique purposes or the unique impetuses that uh, Paul knows about Philippi or he needs to affirm in Philippi, um, and he would do the same in Ephesus or Galatia or Rome. And every letter is written to, you know, there's a real, a real place with real people who have real things going on in their, in their life. I don't know if that answers your question a little bit. What's the part that it doesn't? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm going to grab my real Bible, not my iPad. Um, <clears throat> I got, I got a real Bible, just in case you guys uh, didn't believe that. Um, so when you say there's, there's, there is... Um, yeah, a lot of things went wrong with them. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So you're, I mean, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. So. Yeah, I mean, the main theme is joy and gratitude and, and encouragement. I will say that there are, there are doctrinal things in here for sure. I mean, you're not going to beat, a, when it comes to doctrine, you're not going to beat like Romans or a book like that. That's just pretty much all doctrine, or at least it feels like it. There are things in here that talk about like the, I mean, Philippians 2, which is a famous passage. We, we love it because it shows how awesome Jesus is, but it talks about God, or God becoming man in Christ Jesus and, and all of that, and God's exalt, exaltation of Jesus to the throne and um, those sorts of things. I mean, there is even a, a rebuke in here, um, Philippians 4. It's about the, yeah, I plead with Yodia. I don't, some names are really hard. Some names of people and places are really hard. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind and of the Lord. I don't exactly know what was going on, but they had a disagreement. So they weren't on exact eye to eye, those two people. So he knows the things going on. Do I know, how do we know that? Maybe Epaphroditus told him. Maybe it was in a letter they might've written to him. There's some context we're missing, but we know that there was even correction in here. But yeah, I would say the main impetus is to encourage these people. Maybe it was because he was near the end of his life. Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit put it on him. I mean, Holy Spirit kept him from going to different places. Jesus kept him from going to different places. Maybe, he, you know. But the, the letter, I think, is primarily written for encouragement. Um, yeah, this is a good question. Express gratitude, you know. It's like my mom used to make me write thank you letters to people who gave me birthday presents. I don't know. They, they were the biggest financial supporter of his ministry probably, and maybe it was just a thank you letter for that. But yeah, I mean, he does thank them for his gifts. It's a good question. Other questions? 
All right, Philippians chapter 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Uh, we're going to get to that in week five, and we're going to talk about how that almost derailed my faith in high school because I couldn't hit home runs like I thought I was supposed to be able to in Christ Jesus. Amen? Uh, this is going to be a good one, but I am super excited. I want to talk about the upcoming week, and I want to encourage you to be engaged in this outside of Wednesday nights. Um, I'm going to be as well. One thing I'm really going to ask you to do um, is to read before you come. I think this will help you have a better understanding of going into the class time. Um, and I, think, I just think it'll be helpful. So on this sheet where it says class schedule, you're going to see the week and the date, and then you're going to have the focus, which is the scripture I would really love you to read before you come, even if it's just in the car before you hop out and walk in, or if you want to reflect on it throughout the week. Whatever you're able to do, I would really appreciate that because I would love to hear your thoughts even coming into the class time, not necessarily at the end as well. So you'll see what scriptures my plan to cover is for those different weeks, and we're going to do our best uh, to get through those. Some of them will take a little bit longer than others, but we will not be past 8 o'clock and hopefully we won't be too much before 7.45. I can always talk longer if I need to. Just kidding, I won't do that to you. Um, I also have on this, on this sheet of paper uh, memory encouragement. One of the things that helps me to actually understand a letter, which this is what we're trying to do. We're not, we're not trying to gather here to understand one thought. We're trying to gather here to understand this letter in its entirety. And we're going to see Paul's development of thoughts in this letter. And so I would love to encourage you, at least it helps me, to memorize different portions of uh, the scripture or the letter that we're studying. So when I study one on my own, this is what I'll typically do. I'll try to find a, 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 a um, verse or two that represents that section of that letter pretty well, and I'll try to memorize it. This is not something, by the way, that we're going to test on. Uh, unless you want me to test you on it, I'd be happy to, and you can test me. But I'm going to be memorizing these um, different uh, scriptures that I had right there. Now, like I said, this is not required. Uh, you can memorize different parts of Philippians if you want to. This is just what I'm going to memorize. And I would love to encourage you, if you want to, to memorize these little parts uh, with me. So after the week is done, I'm going to try to memorize uh, the, what we just talked about. So you can do it like that. You can do it before we get to class. Whatever you want to do. A few other house-taking uh, notes. There's a camera in the back of the room. You might be wondering why I'm wearing this microphone and no sound is happening. Uh, I was kind of wondering that at the beginning, to be honest with you. I believe this is going straight to that camera because we're doing a live stream right now on YouTube. Um, and so if you're not here, if you're sick or something, but you want to watch the class at home, uh, you can go on to uh, YouTube and go to Christ Church of Orinogo. And I believe this is just going to premiere. To be honest, about 10 minutes before class started is when I found out we were streaming this. Uh, so... I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know you can go to YouTube and find it. Um, and it will also be available on podcasts if you're not available to um, listen to it at, on Wednesday night, wherever you're at. You can go to Christ Church of Orinogo podcast and under the classes page, it will be uh, there and it'll just be titled Philippians. So um, you can keep up with the class and I would encourage you to do so because this letter will build on itself and we're trying, like I said, we're trying to understand the letter as a whole. That's what I have for tonight. I would like to pray, but if, before I pray, if anybody wants to say anything, ask any questions, make any statements, I would be happy to hear those. Danny Lee? Yeah, looking good, man, looking good. All right, remember, go home, read Philippians, where the red fern grows and the outsiders. All right, if you haven't read those books, you need to. And uh, I don't know if any of my improv comedy works on YouTube, but you can try to find it if you want to. So uh, let me say a prayer for us and just very grateful that you guys uh, were here tonight and looking forward to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30 next week. Uh, Father, I'm grateful for this group of people. And uh, Father, as we examine this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, um, we know that it is a letter that is alive and active. And just like uh, you, the Holy Spirit, were present with Paul in that house as he was on house arrest, inspiring him as he wrote this letter in partnership with Timothy, and Epaphroditus is probably there as well. Father, we know that you're in this room illuminating this scripture for us, helping us to understand it, to see it. So Father, as we come to the scriptures that are alive and active, uh, Father, would you, like the scripture says, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, would you, would you pierce our hearts in places that need to, be, need to be pierced and would you encourage us in ways that need to be encouraged and rebuke us in ways that we need to be rebuked? 
Father, I'm grateful for the conversations I was even having before uh, class about wanting to grow. And uh, this is, this is a, a book that encourages growth and maturity in Jesus. And so, Father, as a group of people who are gathering here tonight with our commonality being Jesus, would you allow us to focus on him, to see him clearly, and to grow in him? Father, Paul mentions that he wants the Philippians to grow in love and knowledge and depth of insight for the express purpose to bring glory and praise to you. And that's my hope for myself and for my friends who are gathered in this room, that we would gather to study this letter for the glory of you. Father, that in study we would worship you. And Father, that you would be pleased with our gathering, that it would be a beautiful sight in your eyes. And so Father, thank you for uh, Paul Thank you for uh, the people of our faith that were the forerunners like Lydia and that jailer and Epaphroditus and, and Timothy. And Father, these stories that we are reading about and these letters that we're studying are letters that really happened. We believe this. They're not fiction or fairy tale. These are, these are real people in real places that really met Jesus and encountered Jesus and were baptized into Jesus and were filled with the Holy Spirit and proclaimed the gospel. And we want to take the baton from them and do the same today. So Holy Spirit, would you encourage us? Would you keep us from places like you kept Paul? And would you lead us to places like you led him so that other people may know of Jesus just like Paul did for the Philippians? Father, we're grateful for our partnerships that we have here at Christ Church. This is a theme of this letter. And so for our impact partners that we have uh, all around the world and here locally as well, and for the ways that we're able to work through right here, right now, for your glory and to, and to serve people, Father, I'm just grateful for those partnerships and the way you've encouraged Christ Church to be connected to ministry that is happening outside of our little plot of land. Father, so grateful for you and the way you've led us. Would you continue to do so? Would you bless this group of people? with knowledge and depth of insight. And may their love, may my love, abound more and more. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. We'll see you next week, 6.30. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.